Good morning. I'll be honest with you, I am surprised at how many people actually showed up today. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It's frigidly cold outside, but you love Jesus, and you decided to come and worship in the house of the Lord. You know, I'm also grateful for uh, technology uh, that allows us to stream and allow people to be home safe uh, if they're not able to be here. And so I just want to uh, welcome anybody who's, who is uh, connecting with us via live stream. I'm so glad that you decided to connect with us either now during the service or at a later time. You're always welcome to join us here on Sunday morning. Well, as Mandy said, my name is David Jacob here, and I am delighted to be here with you this morning. Um, and I am so grateful, again, that you are here. Um, I, um, if I were to honestly assess myself, I would say that I am a person who has a lot of faith. I know that I can be really skeptical and I can question a lot of things, sometimes annoyingly so, as some of you have already experienced with me, but I, I, I have a lot of faith in who God is and what he says he can do. I just believe it. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to move and it'll move. I, I believe that. I know it sounds ridiculous, especially to unbelievers, it sounds ridiculous, but I believe it. Don't ask me if I've tried it. I have. It didn't move, but I still believe in Jesus and what he says. I believe. I have faith. I believe that God can heal us, that he can cast out demons, that he can restore what seems to be unfixable and do so many incredible, miraculous things. I believe that the Bible teaches us from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end that faith is important and that it's necessary. In the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible, Abraham had a special kind of faith that was so powerful that God decided to use him to create or, or to be the father of the of nation of Israel and what we call the people of God. And we as believers trace our lineage back to the faithful Abraham. Much, much later in the Bible, in the New Testament, toward the end of the Bible, we're told that all we have to do to experience an everlasting life with our Father in heaven is to put our faith in Jesus. And I absolutely believe that. Faith is necessary for our lives, right? I also believe that in order to live this life well, live the life that God has intended us to live since before we were born is that we need faith and we need wisdom. We need faith and we need wisdom. And although these things might seem to be contrary sometimes, I think that the Bible teaches us that they're complementary. We need both of them. We are meant to hold tightly to our faith and continually pursue and act with wisdom. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have mountain-moving faith that God can miraculously restore any broken relationship, even, though, even those on the very edge of separation. My, my parents were about to get divorced, and if it weren't for God, I wouldn't be here today. I believe that God can miraculously restore relationships. I also believe <laughs> that the Bible teaches us to create healthy boundaries 
and to pursue reconciliation in a prudent way. It's both, right? I believe that it's, it's necessary to believe that God can rescue us from the grips of temptation. God can do that. He can rescue us. I also believe that God teaches us that we should wisely avoid those situations to begin with, right? I believe that the world is broken. And I believe that God is working out a plan that, that I, I don't always see, that I don't always understand. I believe that he is redeeming and restoring and renewing this broken world. But I also believe that until those things are, until the world is made new again, the Bible gives us tremendous amount of wisdom to navigate through the brokenness, through the ups and downs, the trappings of this world. Faith is a powerful and necessary thing to follow Jesus, to follow our God, creator. But faith isn't all we need to live this life well. Wisdom is necessary to live the life that God had always intended us to live, right? We need both faith and wisdom. I say that because sometimes Christians can overemphasize faith and disregard uh, wisdom. So all you got to do is just believe a little bit more, pray a little bit harder, right? But God gives us both, the precious gift of faith and wisdom. This morning, I'll be continuing a sermon series that we started a couple weeks ago called How to Be Wise. How to Be Wise. It's a series designed to emphasize the importance of pursuing godly wisdom. And this isn't just an intellectual exercise so that we can contemplate the depths of Proverbs or, or debate the philosophy of scriptures, right? This series is designed to be a practical reminder that if we embrace the wisdom that God gives us, our lives will be easier, healthier, and more fruitful. Wisdom allows, it gives us a skill to live easier, healthier, and more fruitful lives. This morning, as we continue the series, I want to talk about an area that I think is far too often de-emphasized in the church, maybe outside the church as well, but I've noticed it in the church. It's an area where I and many other believers say things like, well, I'm just going to do it this way, and I'm just going to have faith that God, like, figures it out, right? I believe, I have faith in God. I have faith in God. He's, he's going to work it out. He's going to work it out. I want to talk about money. More specifically, I want to talk about biblical wisdom about money. Listen, I a thousand percent believe that God's resources are immeasurable, that he has more than we can imagine. I believe that he can pull you out of any financial jam that you find yourselves in. I have experienced miraculous like financial blessing in my life, unexpected financial blessing. But I also believe that the Bible is filled with wisdom and how we should use and steward our resources in the way that God intended for us. It's easier to just do what we want, spend and however we want, and then just hope and have faith. Well, God, you're going to figure it out for me, right? 
Maybe you guys are more holy than I am, right? Like, that's how I think sometimes. And I'm just going to have faith. God's going to figure it out. I have more month and money. I'm extending myself. Uh, I, just, I just need to pray harder. That's part of, part of the process, right? But I think there's so much biblical wisdom to help us avoid those situations. And also, if we find ourselves in a sticky situation, I think there's biblical wisdom on how to get out of those situations. So I want to talk about biblical wisdom about money. Can we do that this morning? Yes. You know, before we dive uh, into the deep end of this, I want to pause and recognize, as a preacher, um, that when people talk about money in church, it can be a little, uh, a little bit of a struggle for some of us. I know, I know for a fact that some of us have been in churches, been connected to ministries that have abused their position to talk about money in a way that was manipulative and harmful. And I just, I just want to recognize that, that the money, again, money, especially when we talk about it in the church, can be, uh, it can be a little tense. But this is really important. God cares about how we spend our money. God cares about that. And I know that this can be a difficult situation, but I feel like we gotta talk about it anyway. We got to. And so I, I wanna put that out in the open. I wanna recognize that, but I, gotta, I say we gotta, we gotta do this. We gotta do this. No matter how challenging this might be, we gotta talk about this. We gotta figure it out. We strongly believe here at the South Suburban Vineyard that God cares about what you do with your money. Besides the, the topic of the kingdom of God, money was what Jesus talked about more than any other topic. This is important. And so my goal this morning isn't to lay something super heavy on you, but rather to just offer some, some practical uh, wisdom that I find in the Bible that will help us to steward our money well and to navigate the difficulties that we might experience with money. Can we do that this morning? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us before we go any further. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that, that we can rely on you, that you are an infinite and powerful and almighty God. I thank you that as we pray, you hear us. I thank you that as, as we struggle, you see us and your heart is to help us. I thank you for the faith that you give us through your spirit. I thank you for the wisdom that you give us through your word. And Lord, I ask that we would be able to receive all of what you have for us this morning. I ask that you would help me get out of the way. I ask that you would just, just, just uh, connect with each one of us where we are today. I know that we're all in different uh, situations in life. Would you bless us, speak to us, and minister to us in a way that only you can. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So there are many different wisdom principles all throughout the Bible. And I'm not going to keep, keep you here um, longer than 3 p.m. I only have about 12. 12. All right. I, I really only have four I have four wisdom principles 
that I'd like to share with you this morning um, that I think will help us as we just um, navigate this life with money. Four wisdom principles. The first wisdom principle is to give God your money. Give God your money. I didn't say give the church your money. I said give God your money. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said people go through three conversions. The conversion of their head, their heart, and their pocketbook. Unfortunately, not at all the same, not all at the same time. Right? If we choose to follow Jesus at some point, we have to like change the way that we think. We have to change our belief system. We have to change about what we believe about God, what we believe about the world, right? We have to convert our minds toward Jesus. At some point, we have to let God change the way that we feel about the world around us. We have to let him decide what our moral compass is, what is right and what is wrong. We have to let God change our hearts and our souls. And then at some point, we have to choose to let God change how we use our resources. Got to do it. At some point, we got to do it. To give our entire lives and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, except for my money, it just sounds a little weird. When I say it out loud, of course, I don't know how many times you've said it out loud, but right, it, it's just, it just doesn't fit. Say, God, you created the universe, you know all things, you are all powerful. Thank you for saving me. I'm going to keep my money. I don't want to hear it. It just, sound, it just doesn't make sense to give ourselves fully to God. We have to let God have the final say in how we use our money. Pastor Gino opened the series a couple weeks ago talking about the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And this isn't some type of, of cowering fear that God will destroy us if we do the wrong things, right? God doesn't, you know, have his boot raised above us just waiting for us to mess up. That's not the fear that we should, that we should um, have toward the Lord. Instead, it's a reverent fear. It's an acknowledgement that he is God and we are not, right? It's an acknowledgement that, 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 that he knows more than we do. He has more than we do. He is God. He has the right answers, even though we think we might have the right answers. And so if we want to be truly wise with our entire lives, I think it's important that we start by acknowledging that God has the right answers when it comes to our money. God has the right answers. And if we don't give our money to God, or rather Him full access to our money, then the rest of this life of wisdom or this life of wisdom with money won't really work. In Matthew chapter 19, we're told of a story of a rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and says, like, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, I want, he knows that he's rich, and he says, God, I want you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the story ends with this rich young ruler saying, man, thanks but no thanks. And he walked away sad, and he chose his money over Jesus. 
But of course, I don't believe that this is a mandate from Jesus that all of us need to sell everything that we have and give it to the poor. I think as you look at the entirety of Scripture, that's not what we're supposed to do. But I think it is a very clear um, teaching that you got to decide whether it's money or Jesus. You have to decide at some point who has the final say with your money. Do we give all of God, do we give God the right to control it all? Are we like that rich young ruler? The word your is highlighted up on the screen because we need to decide whose money is in our pockets. Is it your money or is it God's money? Maybe let me offer a different example. My sons um, are nine and 11, and uh, they both get allowance. Um, uh, our, my wife and I, we want, from an early age, we want to give, give them a little bit of money and help, help disciple them on how to use their money. Um, and so there's different ways that we split it up, and there's, there's kind of some parameters around that, but, but they get a little bit of money uh, as an allowance. Um, and, uh, you know, we, there's plenty of times where they, they uh, use that money to buy some ridiculous things, right? Only, the, right, like you're a nine-year-old, you, you want that squishy thing or that thing that costs way too much money. And, and it's like, well, this is part of the discipleship. We, we let them buy things that maybe we don't agree with. But there are other times, plenty of times, plenty of times where we say, I know that I gave you that allowance, but you cannot buy that. Right? Like, I know the money is in your pocket, but we're not going to let you buy that. That is so ridiculous that you just, you have no idea how unwise that purchase is. Right? And I feel like this is, this is, this is how God is with us. He gives us money. He gives us an allowance. And for sure, there's plenty of ways that we can spend it however we want. But I think, I think God would say, you know what, there, there, there's, there's some things that, no, no, no. You just should not buy that. You just should not spend your money that way. And as wise as my wife and I are, I don't know, kind of, a little bit, how much more infinitely wise is God to be able to see how that purchase, that investment, that whatever might impact our lives in a way that it shouldn't. Right? And we do this out of love for our kids. I, I, I tell my, like, you're going to buy that, and then you're going to not have it, and then you're just going to waste money. Like, God loves us so much that he says that he gives us the opportunity to, to like, check in with him so that we don't um, make poor financial decisions. Does this make sense? Like, God's wisdom is better. And I know that we want to spend and do things the way that we want to do, but but, but, but checking in with God, giving God the final say is wise. It is better for us. Amen? I know it's not always easy, but it is better for us. All right, the second bit of wisdom um, I think that the Bible teaches us is that we should approach money with a sober mind. 
approach money with a sober mind. I've only been on the earth 40 years, but I know that money is rarely ever just money. Even just talking about money can bring up so many different emotions. For some of us, money is associated with power and the ability to get away with whatever you want. And we see that injustice playing out in the world around us. Others of us, we get excited when we think about money because we think about all the many things, the many good and godly things that we can do. And so money isn't inherently bad. It can be, it can be something that evokes joy in us, something that, that, that helps us to pursue the things of God. But money, money can be so much, I mean, it's just, it's just so much more than just money. While others think of the potential good things that money can do, money can be the reason why we're jealous of others and why we covet what they want. It can be the, it can be the fuel that we use to chase after that ideal life, whatever that means to you. Money is the answer. It can, it, can, it can be easy to believe that money is the answer to our problems. That if I just had a little bit more, right? If I just had a little bit more, then things will be better, things will be different. For some of us, money brings up traumatic experiences of pain and betrayal. It becomes the reason for much of our fear and anxiety that we experience in our lives. We pursue money as a security blanket. It can also be the reason why things become unnecessary, unnecessarily complicated in our relationships. And so I've just come to observe in my own life and in the lives of others around me, some of, even some of your stories, is that money often carries with it baggage that makes it difficult to think about it with a sober mind. It's just complicated. Money often makes things complicated. And so is it even possible to think about money with a sober mind? Is it possible to approach this with a sober mind? And how do we do that if, it's, if that's true? Well, I do believe it's true. I do believe that we can do that. I, I know people who are, are much more sober than I am, and so I believe that we can do that. But I think that the Bible teaches us that we can do that. Um, I want to pre- read a passage from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. It's, it's part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of a compilation of many of his famous teachings. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, he starts talking about money. And he says this. He says, don't store up treasures here on the earth where moths eat, um, eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. And if, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. 
For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everything uh, everyday life, whether you have enough to food and drink or, or even clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't have plants or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, will you eat? What will you eat? What will you drink? What will you wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. It's a lengthy passage. It's an incredibly rich passage. You could probably just grab a few verses of that and talk for a couple hours on that. But I think that within this passage, Jesus is, is hammering on a lot of different things. And I think that there's some, some three tidbits of wisdom about, about approaching money with a sober mind. Three tidbits of wisdom about having a sober mind when it comes to money. First, first uh, bit of wisdom here is consider how unhealthy perspective, uh, how an unhealthy perspective really does affect you. Consider how an unhealthy perspective really does affect you. In verse 22 and 23, Jesus talks about how our eyes are a lamp to the rest of our body. It's an interesting metaphor, and as we read it, it might be a little confusing, but I think what Jesus is teaching us here is that if we have a healthy perspective on things, in this case money, the rest of our lives will benefit. If we have a healthy perspective on things, the rest of our life will benefit. And if we have an unhealthy perspective, then our life will suffer. And the worst case, the worst case is when we think we have the right perspective, but it's actually the wrong perspective. And Jesus says how dark that is, like how bad of a situation you will find yourself in is if you think you're doing the right thing, but you're doing the wrong thing. And so when it comes to money, I think a wise thing to do would be to pause and try to consider why you are responding the way that you are responding. Pause and consider why you are making the financial decision that you are making. And so I think the wisdom here is to maybe, maybe just have a self-check when it comes to money. Am I spending this because it is the right thing to do and it is good and it is godly? Or am I spending this for the wrong reason? It's important to consider that, that, that if, we are, if we're spending money for the wrong reasons, it will impact our lives in a great way. And so the wisdom is to consider that to pause and reflect. And I realized that, you know, we didn't get to this point in a day, right? The, 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 the way that money is intertwined with our emotions, like it, this, it, it took all of our lives to get to this point. It, this isn't gonna happen overnight, but the pursuit of wisdom 
is a process, right? The pursuit of wisdom is a process. And so I'm saying this because I, this, this self-check should be part of our process of making financial decisions. Does that make sense? And so that's the bit of wisdom here. Let this self-check be part of the process of how we approach money. The second bit of wisdom that I think uh, about uh, thinking soberly is that we probably need to redefine what it means to be rich. You want to think soberly and godly about money? We might need to redefine what it means to be rich. What does it mean to be financially successful? Just about any financial expert that you'll, that you'll hear on the internet or wherever will tell you that being rich has everything to do with the amount of resources that you have, right? Who has more resources? Those are the rich people. But Jesus flips that on its head and he says, don't store up your treasures here on the earth. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven. Like, like wait a minute. I thought that in order to be rich, I needed to store up my treasure. Jesus says, no, there's a different way to think about this. And so if we want to think soberly, we want to think, use godly wisdom when it comes to money, we might need to recalibrate how we define being rich, what it means to use our, to be successful financially. And I'm not going to get into that anymore, but this is, this is part of the process. We let God change and recalibrate how we think about money. Amen? All right, the third bit of wisdom really quick from this passage um, uh, is we need to detach our emotions from money. You want to think soberly about money, you got to detach emotions with, uh, from money, and I say that, and I a thousand percent be- believe that it is easier to say that than it is to do it. It is easy for me to preach this and just stand on this stage and say, hey, don't be emotional when you're spending your money. You know, my, I won't wag my finger at you. But I realize it's, it's easy to say that, right? Money isn't just money. We carry the baggage of money. The, it, 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 Money is so complicated that we have interwoven our emotions for all types of reasons um, with our emotions and money. And, and, and so, it, again, this is a process, but it is wise to separate the two. I just mentioned a few ways that, that anxiety and fear and jealousy and resentment and worry and all types of emotions can be interwoven with money, I know that sometimes uh, I, I buy things as a coping mechanism because I am depressed, I am sad. And so I feel like buying things or spending things it will make me feel better. I recognize that I can handle money dysfunctionally. I also can clearly see uh, times in my life when I have avoided what would have been helpful purchases, avoided um, being generous because I was afraid. I know that I sometimes have withheld generosity from certain people because I was judgmental and I was angry that they would get themselves in that mess. And so they deserve to lay in the bed that they made. I know that my emotions have, have, have not allowed me 
to think soberly about money. Listen, healthy emotions can be powerful motivators to do the things that we're supposed to do. Unhealthy emotions can be heavy anchors that hold us back from moving in the right direction. And so although this might be difficult, although this might take a while, although this might be a long process, it is wise to think soberly and honestly about how our emotions are driving us when it comes to money. This is a continuing effort as we pursue wisdom. We've got to untangle our emotions and think soberly about money. You guys tracking with me? Can we just take a breath? This is good. Sometimes we got to have these tough talks so that we can live the life that God has called us to live. Amen? All right. Let's get back on track with the bigger nuggets of wisdom. We talked about giving God our money at the, as the beginning of wisdom. We've talked about approaching money with a sober mind. The third bit of wisdom, and I'll move a little quicker, uh, third bit of wisdom is that we should live within our means. Live within our means. Man, that's tough. <laughs> In America, it's hard to live within your means. But well, this is what the Bible tells us to do. It is wise. Proverbs 22, seven says, just as the, rule, the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 22, 26 and 27 says, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for somebody else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from you. Listen, I realize that in our current economic reality, it is almost impossible to not have some kind of debt, right? I think you'll hear financial experts talk about good debt. You ever heard that term? Long-term, low-interest debt that helps you build equity, like a mortgage or something like that. But there's also bad debt, high-interest debt credit cards, and other high-interest loans that will always take more than they give. And so I think, um, you know, we could debate whether what, what is good debt and what is bad debt, but I think the overarching message of wisdom in the Bible is that it is not good to owe people money. Can we just agree with that blanket statement? It is not good to owe people money. And if you happen to owe people money, it is, it is important that you try your best to get out of that situation. Right, like if you have debt, okay, that's, that's our current reality, but it is wise and good to get out of debt. As somebody who has struggled with debt in the past, I can tell you that this doesn't happen by accident, right? Getting out of debt, it doesn't happen by accident. Living within your means is a value that you choose to live by. It becomes a framework by which you make your fun, all of your financial decisions no matter how much money you're bringing in. And I know, I, I realize that again, some people, are, are, we are conditioned to think, man, if I just had a little bit more, then things will be fine. 
But I, I can think of real people who have moderate to low income, who have more money in the bank than other real people that I know who make $150,000, $200,000. If we're talking about wealth being like, or, or, or being wise as having maybe some savings or something like that, having some margin, like, like the people who are lower income often have uh, more financial stability than, at least in my experience, what I have seen um, with real people in my life. This isn't about how much money you make. This is about what you do with the money that you make. This applies to all of us. This applies to all of us. No matter how much you bring in, it is wise to live within your means. Why though? Why is it so important? Well, allow me to rattle off a few reasons. We can start with the fact that study after study shows that um, financial worries are related to psychological distress. Debt has a tendency to increase rates of anxiety, depression, stress, among other mental and emotional struggles in your life. In other words, you are more likely to have a more stressful and difficult life if you live beyond your means. Living beyond your means, you thought you were gonna be happier but you are more likely to be more stressed than you were if you didn't. Practically speaking, um, when we take on debt, we're typically paying interest, right? And that means that you are, you are spending more of your resources than you originally thought. You buy something for $100 and there's an the interest attached to that, you're gonna pay more than that $100 by the time all said and done. And if you're paying off that extra amount, that means you probably need to work a little bit more to pay off that extra amount. And the cycle, it just, it, it, it just doesn't stop. You live beyond your means, you gotta work more, and then you live beyond, and you gotta work more, and it's it just that extra that you have to pay robs from you in time and resources. Another reason is you're giving, if you are um, giving money to lenders, uh, instead of spending that money on the things of God, um, I'm sorry, another reason is that when we give our money to lenders, we are not giving that money to the things of God. Does that make sense? Right, like we only have so many resources, right? Like if we are having to, we're already stretched thin and then we're having to pay more, that's money that we are maybe should be devoting to the things of God. And I could probably think of a few other reasons, but I hope you're getting my point, right? Living beyond your means makes things unnecessarily more difficult. However, living within your means uh, is wiser and makes life easier for you. It allows us to save money and be ready for the emergency that, that will happen, right? We call this adulting, right? It, things happen, owning a house happens, like, like financial things happen. You gotta be ready for that. And so saving money uh, allows us to be ready for those moments. Having a little bit of extra uh, allows us to more easily respond to the needs of others around us. And so maybe it's not your emergency, but maybe an emergency of the person near you. 
And if you are stretched thin or stretched beyond your means, you can't help them the way that you could otherwise. Having a little bit of extra gives us the opportunity to bless others with random acts of kindness and generosity. Maybe they're not an emergency, but if you have a little extra, you can bless people. Having a little bit of extra living within our means will make it easier to tithe and give generously to the cooperative mission of the church. Your mind will be less stressed and you'll be able to live more freely if you live within your means. And again, I realize this can be really hard, really hard, especially if you're not a natural saver. If you're not naturally inclined to holding money back or saving, this can be really tough. I, look, I wish I could buy whatever I wanted to. And trust me, I have a long list of very expensive things that I wanna buy. But I'm very grateful that my wife has embraced this godly wisdom of stewardship and wisdom and prudence and has helped me over the years think soberly about my purchases and help me to live within my means. And as a family, we are blessed because of that and we have worked hard to try to get out of debt the best that we can. And we're still on that journey, but I'm grateful for my wife and for her godly wisdom. I'm grateful for the, um, I'm grateful for this godly wisdom. As it seems, as I, as I look back, I see how it has added freedom to my life. And I know some of your stories. I have seen how being wise with your money has improved the quality of your life, right? This is wise and it is good and it offers so, even though you might not be making as much as you want, even though you might not have the things that you want, like, like me, living within your means helps us to live an easier, healthier, more fruitful life. Amen? Some of you are experiencing that and can probably preach a better sermon on that than I can. But others of us are maybe struggling in that way. And so I just encourage you, like, like, like let today be the day where you start to incorporate this wisdom into your life. And I, and I bet you'll see things change. All right, the fourth and final bit of wisdom, and I'll... Um, Go quickly here. Fourth and final bit of wisdom is that we should be sacrificially generous. Sacrificially generous. I realize that this sounds like a moral mandate, right? And maybe it is, but I think the Bible also shows us that living a life of generosity is, is wise. There is wisdom in committing to a life of generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The Apostle Paul is appealing to the church in Corinth about giving generously to the church in Jerusalem, and he says something similar in 2 Corinthians uh, 9, verses 6 and 7. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously, and he's, again, he's talking about being generous with other people, the ones who plant generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't, be, and don't give real reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. 
I realize that we can get a little wacky with this and maybe, you know, talk about um, giving generously to the church or to others. But look, the, the Bible says that those who are generous live better lives. If you want uh, to experience a healthier, more fruitful life, be generous to others. Give to the church. I do believe that the Bible talks about giving generously to the church. It's important to systematically and sacrificially give to this collective uh, effort to extend the kingdom of God. That's why we gather our money. It's not so that the staff can get rich. Look, look at our financial statements. Nobody on our staff is getting rich because of the church. But we pool our money together so that we can extend the kingdom of God together. Right? It is good. It is good to be generous. Give away. There's a higher principle in this passage. The higher principle is that we should live a life of generosity. Let's go beyond this building. Consider how your marriage might be different if you both fully committed to being absolutely 100% generous with each other. How might your marriage be different? Consider how your life would be easier if you surrounded yourself with generous people. And of course, you were generous to them as well. Don't be a taker, be a giver, okay? But just consider how much easier life is when you have generous people around you. Like, what if you stopped fighting with that difficult coworker and instead decided to just 30 days of absolute generosity, like unfettered generosity toward them? Buying them lunch, taking them out, being generous toward them. I imagine that relationship will change. Generosity improves things. If we switch the, switch the uh, perspective a little bit, like, like, you know, let me look at it from my perspective. Uh, I know that I'm not supposed to keep a secret ledger of who gave what or what, uh, you know, who is generous toward me, but I'll be honest with you. Like, it's easier for me to be generous with people who have been generous to me, right? It's easier, um, it's, e- it's easier for me to be more cooperative and more agreeable with the people who have been generous to me. Am I the only one? No? Right? Like, it's easier. And I know I'm supposed to work hard all the time, right? Work into the, as, as though unto the Lord. But I work a little harder when I feel like I'm generously compensated. I, I shouldn't say that, and I, Father, forgive me. But like, it's true. I respond better when people are generous to me. And so the reverse is true. People will respond better to you when you are generous. We're called to be generous no matter what. God called, the God creator of heaven and earth tells us to be generous. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, commands us to be generous. And those are sufficient reasons. We could just say, okay, I'm supposed to do it because I'm supposed to do it. But we can also choose to be generous because God blesses those who are generous. Because life is better when we are generous. Because people respond to us differently when we are generous. Because in general, just things are easier when we contribute to a culture of generosity. And I hope that you've experienced that at some point in your life, a real life example that you can draw on and maybe replicate. Maybe, maybe, maybe share with other people. Being generous doesn't have to just be like, okay, God told me to do it. But it can be a part of the, our lives because it is wise, it makes our life easier, healthier, and more fruitful. Amen? 
All right, so how do we put this together? Worship team, you can come up as I, as I close. I know that money can be complicated. I know that money can be complicated. Some of us have very healthy relationships with money, but many of us don't. I realize that many of us even carry some heavy and burdensome baggage when we talk about money. It can trigger some things in us. But what if that could change? Why does it have to be that way? What if our relationship with money can change? What if we pursued wisdom, the wisdom of the Bible about money as an ongoing, regular practice? What if we decided to give God the reins and let him decide how to spend our money? What if we worked a little harder, maybe brought others around us to help us think about money more soberly? How might things change if we tried our best to live a disciplined life within our means and not overspending and not overextending ourselves? How much simpler and easier might life be if we choose to be generous? Look, the answers to these questions are gonna be different for all of us, right? But I believe that all of our lives will improve in a meaningful and lasting way the more that we engage these wisdom principles in our lives. And as challenging as it, it is, I have faith. I have faith that God will bless our efforts to do so. I have faith because I know that we serve a generous God, a God who gave his most precious resource, his son to come to the earth and show us how to live the life we're supposed to live. And he died the death that we were supposed to die, that we deserve to die. And he generously offered himself so that we might experience an abundant life with God. Jesus said, I came to give life and life to the full. He did that for us. He died on the cross so that we might experience a wonderful, healthy, fruitful life with our Father in heaven. God loves you, and he wants you to live an abundant life. And so he offers this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, if you would only put your faith in him. And he also offers this free, amazing gift of his wisdom so that we might experience our life here the best that we can. And so I invite you today to hold on to both, I invite you to accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him, trust him. Trust that God knows. And I invite you, wherever you are, to, to, to embrace these wisdom principles and see why God teaches us these things because he loves us and he wants the best for us. So I invite you to grab both, that faith and that wisdom. Amen? Father, I, I thank you for what you're doing here today. I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. God, I just ask that you would, um, um, just, by, just by your power and your grace, write these things on our hearts so that we might live the life that you want us to live. 
I thank you for your generosity. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.